Hello, and welcome to the Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur, where Hayut Yogev speaks with entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs about reaching or missing the critical point of approaching the right customer with the right message at the right time and place. The point where business success starts. And here is your host, Hayut Yogev. Rich Amis, episode 86. Hey, Richards, it's Monday again. I won't really say happy Monday, but I do hope this new episode will help you to start the week, especially after Thanksgiving. On the other hand, it is Cyber Monday today, so maybe it will be a happy Monday after all. Anyway, we are with a new episode of Ritual Mess, and today we are going to talk about failures and successes. So much had been said about failures and successes. However, I think that hearing the real stories of entrepreneurs, including my own story, might help you to handle your own failure and success when it comes. Anyhow, it is really very important to me to hear any comment you might have regarding this episode and especially regarding what would you like to listen to in this podcast. Is that the stuff you are looking for? Do you want to hear other things? What is there about entrepreneurial marketing that I can bring to this show and that will help you? I am waiting for your comments. So let's jump directly to today's episode. Only those who dare to fail greatly can ever achieve greatly. Robert F. Kennedy said so. The biggest failure versus the biggest success. What leads successful entrepreneurs to the highest breakthrough? It was September 15, 2008. I was in Zurich on my way to a big annual exhibition with one of my startup clients. I got a call from my bank's manager. A big payment of $25,000 that was to be deposited into my bank account that day had been cancelled. It was the day of the Lehman Brothers' bankruptcy. The financial landscape changed forever that day. Over the next few days, two of my biggest clients cancelled their contracts. My company was less than nine months old. I carefully built it step by step with clients I knew and could trust. It was my first year of being independent after more than 20 years of executive marketing roles in international brands. The situation was totally new to me. It was a painful failure, and the next few months were incredibly difficult. However, looking back, this was exactly what allowed me to grow so fast in the following years. In 2010, we closed the first investment of $1.5 million for one of our clients. Suddenly, the company was growing faster than ever. If you asked which of these cases affected my future business success most, it was definitely the failure, not the success that came afterward. What can you learn from these failures? What can you learn about successes? And more importantly, how can your failures and successes affect your business? Daniel Geffen 
looks at his failures and successes in a straightforward way. I love the way he talks about communicating with your customers. The secret is, he says, that people actually crave authenticity. They crave real genuine people. And if you can do that... Daniel Geffen, podcaster and co-founder of Get Featured, started out on six-figure salary at age 23, went broke and got evicted onto the streets with family, started business from scratch, went broke again, outsourced his business to a competitor, ran his company out of a hotel lobby for a year, and semi-retired on passive earnings at 31. launched podcast show, which was recently rated Top 26 Podcasts to Listen to in 2017, launched new company called Get Featured, which gets people featured on top-rated podcast shows. You talked about vulnerability. You talked about what you actually experience. And I want to take you to the biggest failure. Of yourself as a result of some uh, interaction with customers what is the biggest most critical failure with customers the one that affected your entrepreneurial journey the most and if you can take a minute and tell us a bit more about your professional uh, history in few words so we'll know what you went through until today it will be great Uh, well, in terms of my previous companies, um, well, it's, it's not really a previous company because it still runs, but the first company I started was a company called Jet Virtual, where we basically answered calls for many different companies. So we were a call answering service. And uh, essentially, uh, I built that up and uh, I had a, a whole lot of issues with, with managing staff. I, I, I've... realized I've come to realize that my strengths in business are more on the creative side and the development side rather than the actual working within the business and dealing with customers and dealing with staff um, but I had to learn that the hard way uh, so I actually literally uh, it was terrible I made one of my my staff members cry once because I I guess I was I was I'm quite a perfectionist so I like things to be a certain way and um, I didn't like the way she handled the call she must have had a bad day and the next thing I know this you know 55 year old woman is crying mm-hmm. I, I was about 25 at the time wow. and so you know I'm this young 25 year old making this 55 year old woman cry and I was like oh my goodness me you know And so I, I came to realize very quickly that I needed to do something different. And so what I did was I actually outsourced my whole company to a competitor of mine, uh, which sounds like a crazy thing to do, but it was the best thing for me. It was the best decision I've made hmm. in my business career because what I did was I actually freed myself up to focus on my strengths instead of trying to do things that I hated doing or, you know, or things that I wasn't good at. I just completely focused on my strengths and now what I do in business is anytime I don't like doing something or I'm not good at it what I'll do is I'll outsource it or I'll I'll delegate it to somebody else um, so that I can focus on the things that I actually enjoy doing and and I'm good at doing um, you you told us a bit about this uh, example with the 65 years old lady she was one of your uh, people. And I want to ask you, 
Do you remember, do you have any example of a failure that has to do with customers, with not approaching uh-huh. the customers, with not having the right focus with customers? Uh, you know, it's a good question. I haven't, I'll be honest with you, I haven't worked with customers for about seven years now. Uh, my company pretty much has a customer service manager, and, which I don't have to deal with customers anymore. So... I understand. That's why I, I would find it hard to, to remember a time when I had a customer. I mean, I don't remember a specific incident, but I will say one thing, and that is that what I found is that if a customer is not happy, the worst thing to do is to, to argue with the customer and to try and, and tell them that they're wrong or that you're right or You know, the best thing in that situation, in, in fact, I would even go further and say you've actually got an opportunity here in this situation to make that customer one of the best, most loyal customers because the statistics uh, and studies have showed that a customer who has had a bad experience and then it was turned around becomes more loyal to... than he was ever before and he becomes more loyal than a customer who actually never had anything go wrong which is fascinating and so I would just say that if you have a customer that's not happy the best thing to do in that situation is to try and put yourself in their shoes and do the best you can to you know to to work with them within reason because I, I you know I also believe that you should never be you Uh, bossed around by your customers um, ultimately if if you know if you've got a customer who's taking up way too much time and energy um, I would fire them I would get rid of them. Hmm. I would say you know what I am um, I actually know a really good company that uh, I could recommend you to uh, please go to them because it's just sometimes it's just not worth it uh, but within reason if you can turn a customer around they will be your most loyal customer definitely I Like Daniel Geffen, Shaul Olmert talks about the necessity of being 100% transparent with your customers, especially about your stage of technology development. Many startups are trying to serve every requirement of their customers, Shaul says, but they are not helping the customers. We have to direct the customers to a place that will be beneficial for them. I'm very, very excited to introduce my guest today, Shaul Olmert, the co-founder and CEO of PlayBuzz. Hi, Shaul. How are you? Hello. Hi. Good. How are you? I'm great and so happy to have you here with us. Thank you. Shaul Olmert is co-founder and CEO of a world-winning storytelling platform, PlayBuzz. PlayBuzz empowers over 13,000 publishers, brands, and agencies worldwide to author and distribute engaging content for editorial and commercial purposes via interactive storytelling tools. I would like you to share with us the story, and uh, I'm sure you experienced, I know you experienced a lot of successes, but I want to start first and try to hear from you the most critical failure that you had with customers, the one that really affected your entrepreneurial journey the most. You know, it goes back to following the customer's uh, advice. You know, when we started a company and uh, we made our first few deals, our first few transactions with advertisers, We were so eager to win their business 
that uh, we were, you know, really trying to serve every request they could possibly bring up and try to make sure that uh, that we are able to say yes to whatever comes up and, you know, make sure that we win the business. But again, I think the um, intent shouldn't be to win this specific business, but to see how you really bring value to your customer for the long run. And, you know, what I am regret the most is the first few deals in which, you know, I was just so eager to take the deal that I, you know, find myself deviating the original virtues of PlayBuzz or the original core values of PlayBuzz towards what I thought will, you know, be my safest route to winning this immediate deal. You probably have some competitors or competitor. How would you differentiate PlayBuzz? What is unique about PlayBuzz in your market? Uh, I think that, you know, today when um, different people have different uh, observations about who would PlayBuzz competitors be, uh, I think there's no consensus on that. And, and the reason for it is that... Uh, wow, since, that's an interesting point. Okay. No, because, you know, I think we operate in a, in a market that's uh, very uh, dynamic, as I said, and, you know, it's, it changes a lot and it has a lot of different faces to it. So, you know, you could view a number of different entities or different types of entities as potentially competing. I think that, you know, when I'm looking at competitors, what I'm really asking myself is where are their core values? You know, what kind of a company is it? I mean, true, their product may bear some similarities to ours and there may be some short-term instances in which certain business partner or certain customer will consider whether to work, whether to give their budget to them. So yes, there is some element of competition there, but, you know, For the long run, are these two companies, are these two entities really see the world in a similar way, really try to offer solutions to the same problems? Or, you know, do they just look alike in many respects, um, but they're actually very different entities? I mean, if you, in the early days of the Internet, everybody seemed as competitors, right? I mean, everyone that owned a website was potentially a competitor to someone else that owns a website because... <laughs> People will only visit so many websites per day. Sure. And over time, the market got more sophisticated. We learned and we realized, you know, how to appreciate uh, the subtleties and the differences and, you know, classify them based on different objectives and understand that, you know what, AOL and Yahoo and, you know, other companies that were uh, uh, sort of market leaders at the time are really very, very different entities, even though they're all Internet companies sure. and they all make money off of advertising. And yes, they are potentially... competing for the same ad dollars in many respects, but it's very, um, you know, there's still, there are still many differences. So how would you describe PlayBuzz or define PlayBuzz in just in one sentence that really differentiate you or really um, express the core value that you talk about? When we try to condense it to one sentence, we say that PlayBuzz is a platform that enables people to create meaningful content. meaningful digital content, meaning that the content that's created with PlayBuzz tends to be more effective, uh, to leave a higher mark, to create higher engagement than any other form of content. And this is the one thing that we are doing as well as anyone. Uh, it's really about our core focus, the, you know, the thing that we're constantly trying to solve for, the things that we're measuring our success based upon, uh, even before we talk about uh, revenue and distribution and reach and all the other uh, KPIs that we're tracking, is really about whether the content that's created with PlayBuzz shows very clear indication of, of generating more attention, more emotional proximity, more interest, more engagement from consumers. Sounds convenient to me. Um, 
<laughs> I know there are a lot, but what would you consider your biggest success due to the right customers that approach do something that you did right most significant success as a result of the right customer focus? I think that one common mistake that definitely startup companies tend to do is not to be one hundred percent transparent about their stage of development. I mean, you approach the market and then the customer asks you. Okay, but uh, you know, do you have uh, these and that features? And you know, you've thought about these features, they're definitely in your roadmap, but obviously you're you know, a young startup with limited financing and you could only develop so many features, so they're not ready yet, but you know, since they're part of the roadmap, sometimes you, in order to win the business, you allow yourself to indicate to the, to the customer that you're actually further away in your development than you really are. Um, that's uh, something that I'm very proud that we did not do hmm. uh, when we started. We were very clear about what we do have and what we don't have, uh, which I think just created a lot of trust factor with our first few partners. Uh, we actually, our first commercial partner, our first customer was one of the world's largest uh, packaged good companies. So, you know, a very uh, lucrative uh, partner when we were very careful and very humble. Hmm. Uh, to potentially win their business. But uh, when we did that and when they asked us about certain things, if they have them or not, we were very transparent that we don't. And, you know, we, th- we said, look, we don't have that. Here's how we can make up for it. You know, we can't give you the specific feature that you requested. But you know what? We'll be able to make up for it by potentially uh, manually generating something that will give us a close enough indication and will be almost as good as the feature you've asked for. And that gave them the comfort that when we tell them that we do have something, it means that we really have that. Uh, otherwise, we would have told them that we're not. And I think that credibility uh, went a long way. And also, you know, sometimes customers are just asking for a lot of things because they, you know, they want to engage in a deeper dialogue and kind of figure out what you already have or don't have. It doesn't necessarily mean that everything they ask for is necessarily vital, you know, is a potential deal breaker if you don't have it. So, you know, you'll be doing everyone a big favor if you'll uh, stick to the reality of what you actually have rather than, you know, try to um, kind of uh, be a super company that always has the, the best answer to any possible question. I think you are very coherent in, in the way you are approaching. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's beautiful to see in the way you're approaching you. the customers, the consumers. And I wanted to ask you what conclusion did you take from that? But I think it's very clear and it's something that obviously you are talking or telling young entrepreneurs uh, about this um, transparency and about focusing on what you have to give and not only in order to give everything in order to win the customer. Adam Obanski. reversed the 90% failures result of consulting and coaching projects to close to 100% successes. Adam Urbanski is a marketing strategist to coaches, consultants, and other service professionals. He is a small business change agent, marketing with trainer, facilitator, speaker, and above anything else, passionate entrepreneur. In 1989, Adam immigrated to the United States from Poland with only $194 in his pocket. Since then, Adam has owned and co-owned several successful ventures. Some of his businesses generated millions of dollars in sales. Today, Adam runs a multi-million dollar business that includes consulting, coaching, training, and information publishing. Adam Urbanski, I'm so happy to meet you. Hi. 
Hi, I'm excited to be here. It is exciting, and there are so many things I want to ask you. I know you had very uh, impressive successes, and we'll talk about it in a minute. But I want to ask you, what is your biggest, most critical failure with customers, the one that affected your journey the most? Hmm. You know, that's always a difficult question for me because I, I, am, I, I have wired myself over the years to really follow this principle that I teach my clients, and that's forget the losses, but don't lose the lessons. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, like when you ask me about people often want to know the big failures, I'm always thinking like, what was the big failure? So I've got to tell you, I've made a lot of money. I've, I've lost everything and more wow. a couple of times and, and had to remake it. So, you know, certainly had huge successes. I think the story I want to show with you is, is fairly recent, actually, and maybe I'm kind of outing myself here. Mm-hmm. But about two years ago, I had this awakening in, in my industry, uh, and that is, you know, I built a very successful business and, uh, you know, almost an autopilot client acquisition process. And things were just kind of honky-dory. There was only one problem, and that is my clients were not getting the results that they came to me for. Wow. And not not as many as I would like them. Like my success stories were, you know, the, the ideal success story were, were far too few and too far in between, right? And I essentially did, did completely blew up my business about a year and a half, almost two years ago now, completely blew up my business, put everything to a screeching halt. And uh, and I said, there's got to be a way to make this different. I, I've built a successful business before. I know what failure looks like. Um, and I know what the success components need to be put in place. So let me stop everything and let me just rethink what business do I want to be in and how do I want this business to impact my clients? And we rewired everything from scratch. And it's kind of what I mentioned to you at the beginning today. You know, I boast a success rate that I think very few other coaching programs um, can actually claim, if anyone. And, you know, that's essentially because I experienced this this failure of sorts that Hey, we, we got good at marketing, but we weren't so good at delivering on our marketing promise. And because of that, we had to stop everything and reinvent ourselves. Wow. What is the major difference between what you've done before that became a failure? First of all, I think a person needs so much courage to say, I'm stopping it now because I don't get or my clients don't get the results I want or I think they can and start all over again. I think it's it's really something to admire. But mm, thank you. you're welcome. It's it's your story. But I want to ask you what was the major difference between the first business two years ago and today? Mm. Which you are having such huge uh, success. Mm-hmm. So I would say three things. Uh number one is again becoming extremely client centric. And, you know, so that means, uh, you know, it's not about what I can do. It's about what the client wants and, and how is it best delivered for a client. Number two is taking extreme responsibility. And again, that may not be, well, I think actually it applies to, to everybody. I'm a huge believer of, of, of responsibility accelerated. So, for example, you know, let's say that, you know, even I'll give you an example of, of our interview, for, for example. If we were to start at a certain time and I would show up two minutes late, and I would say, well, Hayut, I'm late because, you know, I couldn't log on to my computer. Technology wasn't cooperating. No, 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 no. Technology wasn't at fault. I should have started 10 minutes earlier mm-hmm. and make sure that every technology works. So it wasn't technology, it was my fault. 
So, you know, in a coaching consulting industry and any market, you know, we often go like, oh, a client didn't do it correctly or they didn't follow my instructions. Mm -hmm. Well, in that case, you know, I failed because I made my instructions too complicated. I didn't make them simple enough. I didn't make them actionable enough. So instead of in the past, we would go like, well, you know, our clients don't follow what we tell them. Well, great. Then it's our fault. How do we create our programs so easy to and so exciting to follow that essentially failure is not an option, right? Totally agree. And yeah, and then number three is actually, you know, um, extreme discipline with client selection. You have to realize you can't help everyone. Mm-hmm. And if you just take clients on because it's a check, then you pretty much already 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 sentence yourself to failure or at least a lot of misery. So it really doesn't matter that the, the client selection is not based on whether or not they have the check to pay, is whether or not they're a good fit, meaning we can create results for them. And if you if you know if people make the decisions to bring clients on board based on that fit criteria, everything changes. Essentially, every client becomes what we call a lighthouse success story. Every client you can take the case study and flaunt it to the wall and say, look, here's what we do. And we don't do it for just, you know, some clients. We do it for every single client. Why? Because we only take on ideal clients. It's just that simple. Hmm. Um, Beautiful. And I would like to ask you now about your biggest success. What is the greatest, most significant success as a result of the right customer focus or something you did right about approaching the customers? Perhaps you just told this story. Uh, just now, but if you have something else to share. Hmm. You know, I really think that it really is what we do today. It's this 90 plus success rate. And, and wow. you know, it, it's it's the lesson. That, it's funny because that you asked this question and I just gave you the three reasons what's different. And in the process of really fine tuning this program, we took on some clients we shouldn't have taken. And prior to that, we actually had 100% success rate, and now it dropped down to just above 90. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, it's going to take us a while to bring it back to 100, but it's all about the client selection, right? But that really is a big success for me. Uh, and I think on the top of that is the fact that I've been in this business for, uh, well, in about six months, it will be almost 18, it will be 18 years. Hmm. And I have seen so many people in my industry come and go. You know, unfortunately, too many have folded and, you know, could not make it. Uh, so many had to, um, you know, change what they do or they couldn't make it in the industry. And, you know, here I am stronger than ever. We, we are about to have the best year we've had so far in the 17, you know, 18 year history and uh, and just looking towards, you know, an even brighter future. And I think that's that, that's something I'm very, very proud of. You should. And it's so exciting. It's so exciting to hear that. And mm. I think it's so exciting for every one of your clients. Alex Baker brings the point of view of an investor. He looks at the failures and successes of their portfolio startups with the perspective of a mentor on one hand and a financial resource on the other. From both angles, he sees a wrong pattern that leads startups to fail. Alex Baker joined Relay Ventures in 2008, bringing a consulting background specialized in financial services. Period to his experiences at Bearing Point and PwC Consulting, Alex studied at the Schellick School of Business at York University. With Relay Ventures, 
He works with mobile-focused software and hardware entrepreneurs across a variety of industries. He is also an active part of the venture capital community in Canada and abroad as a Kaufman Fellow, as well as an advisor and a frequent speaker and panelist. Alex Baker, it's so great to have you here. Hi. Hi, Chayut. Nice to be here. It is. It is great to have you here, and I'm so happy you were able to talk with us. I know, and I'm sure you've got a lot of successes. However, I want now to ask you, what is your biggest, most critical failure with customers? The one that affected your journey the most from your own perspective? Oh, but Chayud, nobody, uh, no venture capitalists like to talk about their failures. They are. They only like to talk about their successes. <laughs> I'm happy to share a few. And, uh, you know, I'm quite candid with, uh, with our portfolio companies and with companies that we, uh, we are um, in the midst of, uh, of doing due diligence on or, uh, or, or prospecting uh, about the challenges in the industry um, and the challenges with taking on venture financing um, and how we like to operate. And, uh, and I like to be transparent with uh, with our portfolio companies so I'll, I'll try to do the same for you without giving out any mm-hmm. specifics but I'll, I'll tell you that the the failures that usually come up in general uh, are around timing of the market um, so I, I have a partner who says you know we've never missed uh, an opportunity really in a category we've just timed the market completely wrong uh, and that and I, I will tell you that so the failure around market timing is really that companies overspend when uh, they get their first round, second round, third round of financing. So there is this immediate reflex or gut reaction when a company raises money to go out and hire people um, and mm-hmm. hire them at a pace that they are not, A, they are not conditioned for, uh, and B, that uh, the organization is not conditioned to accept. And so generally what would happen is what happens generally is uh, I honestly feel that there is not one company that I've ever been on the board on that doesn't wish they didn't have an extra three months of capital. In other words, <laughs> they overspend about by about 25 percent uh, and they, you know, they hit they end up hitting a roadblock because uh, there's some instability that happens once you raise money. And I feel confident that this has happened to me a number of times. And I consider it a failure when the company doesn't exit for uh, what you expect it to exit for. Or, you know, the company has to uh, turn around and do a mass layoff, which many companies, uh, not just in our portfolio, but broadly speaking, have to do where they, you know, where they trim their sales force by upwards of 10%. Um, and we try to navigate that properly so it actually doesn't happen. Uh, but uh, again, I think that this is more around advice um, around our failures, which is just, you know, don't spend too quickly. Don't have that reflex that because someone, uh, a venture fund, believes in you, believes in what uh, you're pitching to them, uh, believes in you enough to go and write a check for $5 million or $8 million or even $2 million that you need to go out and hire five bodies or 10 bodies or 25 bodies. You know, hire the right bodies at the right time. Uh, stretch people as far as you can take them. They will become better leaders for it, uh, and they will become more productive workers for it. Don't overwork them, but definitely stretch their brains. Hmm. You say you 
look at your portfolio companies as your customers. Do you have any failure in terms of not whether it was a good or bad investment, but in the way you were treating them as customers? Uh, I think I've learned a lot over 10 years, personally. Uh, I think that there are scenarios where, and, and by the way, I will preface this by saying this is, we hate doing this. But in cases where we've had to bring in uh, a CEO and, uh, you know, as a board member, I don't think I've done a good enough job giving the existing CEO or founder feedback. And uh, I've changed mm-hmm. my path on that. Um, I, you know, I think personally I'm a lot more uh, upfront and open with the individuals, providing them feedback in, in real time, but with depth on, you know, why I'm thinking the way I'm thinking. Um, and not only that but trying to surround them with people that can help them, that can make them better managers. Generally speaking, we don't need the, the leadership skills that entrepreneurs lack aren't around risk-taking. Um, it's not around idea generation. It's really around structure and building structure around an organization um, and building you know, deep benches in areas that they don't have experience in, specifically in uh, – in sales and marketing as an example, where you're generally getting, you know, you either get a CEO or a founder that's very strong in engineering and not strong in sales and marketing, or you get an, uh, an entrepreneur CEO who's very strong in sales and marketing and not very strong in engineering, right? It's, it, it really is a tale of two cities. Um, and so I think the key thing is, um, and in places where you asked a very specific questions of where I think we failed our customers or I have failed my customers, um, uh, th- that I try to bring in help and support uh, and professional guidance um, sooner rather than later. Because it's much, you know, 10 years into this, it's much easier to identify weak spots um, than it was when I first started. Mm, I love it. And now is the time to ask you to share your successes with us. So tell us a story of your greatest, most significant success as a result of the right customer focus or something you did right with your customer or anything else? Just what you consider as a great success? I take, we take at the fund a very team-based approach um, on investing. We take a very team-based approach on decision-making. Uh, for us, it's uh, if you get one of us, you get all of us. Hmm. And, the, and the reason I'm bringing that up is because I think that the biggest success is the fact that we've been able to raise four funds together as a team. Uh, and that, you know, the continued support that we get from our investors and our customers on that side and the confidence that they have in the investments that we're making and the decisions that we make that are sometimes hard financially and sometimes fantastic financially. But the balance between the two of those um, I consider that to be, you know, such a shining light in the uh, in, in the success of, uh, of, of us as a fund um, and us continuously being able to raise this. And, you know, the the idea of having six hundred million dollars of assets under management to me is, Definitely. you know, just an incredible amount of money. Uh, and uh, just, you know, it, it's very humbling, to say the least. I love it because I wanted to tell you that it's such an humble approach and I really love it. 
Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Mike Alton started his independent company as a website building service, but learned from his clients what they really want and turned his services into a big success. Mike Alton is a content marketing practitioner, award-winning blogger and author in St. Louis, and the chief marketing officer at SiteSell. He has been working with websites and the internet since the early 19s and is active on all the major social networks. Mike teaches a holistic approach to content marketing that leverages blog content, social media, and SEO to drive traffic, generate leads, and convert those leads into sales. Mike Alton, I'm so happy to have you here at this show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I know you've got, I think everybody knows, you've got a lot of successes. However, I want to start and ask you, what is your biggest, most critical failure with customers? The one that affects it, it can be from today or from this side building company, the one that affected your entrepreneurial journey the most. Wow, you had to ask that one, huh? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> this, is a, this is a painful story. So... In 2007, I moved to St. Louis. I was living in Ohio at the oh. time. And when, when I moved here, I started building websites. And that was, that was when I started the web design business. So I started from scratch, mostly for local entrepreneurs. After a couple of years, the business had, had grown to the point where I needed help fulfilling these development orders. And I just happened to get an email one day from a development firm in Argentina that knew the platform I used, and they offered to take on projects at a reasonable rate. So we came to an agreement, and I started sending more and more projects their way. And it worked out great at first. But after a first year or so, something happened. Projects started to see delays, and then came the inevitable increases in hours and budgets. And very quickly, we moved from completing projects in a timely manner to not moving forward at all. Well. Two months in a row, I sent wire payments of $10,000 each to Argentina and was seeing no completed projects in return. Wow. Now, for context, most of my projects back then were like $1,500, $2,000. You know, that, that was about the size of a, a website. You know, so I was paying for you know, five or more sites per month, and I was getting none. And that became, unfortunately, it, it was an unrecoverable situation. I mean, once I realized... that these developers were no longer working honestly with me or for me. I mean, like, you know, I cut off all access and communication and tried to save the business, but it was, it was too late. Too many customer projects had been delayed. Too many customers were justifiably upset and demanding refunds, funds I didn't have since they'd been sent to Argentina. So I mean, the business failed completely. And I was forced to not only look for other work, but to spend even more time and, and money paying back those customers, uh, and, and that took quite a bit of time. While I had planned to scale and grow my business, I hadn't planned sufficiently to monitor that growth and ensure success. So while I felt burned since then and, and kind of resisted growing my business to the point where I'd need more help, I realized that the real key is to make sure that I'm doing a better job managing. Hmm. I think it's a very interesting example. I do find, though, that um, it's not easy 
being a leader, a star, a teacher, it's not so easy to find those people that will do a great, great, great job. Hmm. Most of the time, the customers will look for you. I think this is the challenge in building your company and uh, hire more workers. I think this is the challenge, but it's not easy. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Now it's time to ask you about the biggest, most significant success okay. with customers. <laughs> yeah, sure. And happy story. Sure, happy <laughs> stories. And I'll be very happy to uh, hear more than one if you have something good. But the story of your greatest success as a result of the right customer focus or something that you did right about approaching your customers. Well, I, I certainly have lots of fun, happy, successful stories. Um, the I'm the sure one that stands out to me is is an interesting one. A few years ago, I don't know if you remember Google Plus Hangouts. <laughs> Not everybody does. <laughs> um, but Google Plus Hangouts were huge for me. They were really, really huge for me. I, I created a big audience on Google Plus. I used Google Plus Hangouts every single week. And by Hangouts, I'm specifically talking about broadcasts that people would do on a regular basis, much like your, your podcast. These are just live video shows uh, that people do and they bring on guests. And I was a frequent guest from a, for a bunch of people's shows uh, to talk about social media and blogging and news and tools and so on. And as a result of that, I got uh, some exposure and, and got to meet a, a lady who was running a website called Craftstar. It was kind of like a, another version of Etsy, uh, mostly for mompreneurs who, who do crafting and, and want to sell um, their products and skills. And as part of that site and service, she was doing this social media boot camp and was inviting people like me to come on and help them learn how to use social media. So this is the kind of thing that I would do for free. Wouldn't charge. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm not charging you, right? I'm just coming on and having a conversation. Um, mm-hmm. so I can meet people and, and, and talk about the things that I really like to talk about. So she brought me on one night, and I don't even remember what we talked about, what the specific uh, topic was, but it was it was social media related, and I helped her. I helped her audience. Sometime later, she reached out to me because she needed professional help. She wanted to bring me on uh, for another project that she was working on with a friend of hers. Turns out that this lady, before she started this site, Craftstar, she actually worked in Hollywood. She was a television producer in Hollywood and uh, worked with people like Ryan Seacrest. I don't know if you know who Ryan is, but he's a um, famous host of TV shows, different things. And she was friends with a guy named Gary Goldstein, who Mm -hmm. is a big motion picture producer in Hollywood, um, did famous films like Under Siege, and probably his most famous film is Pretty Woman with Julie Roberts. This is my cult movie. Yeah, so she got me in touch with the producer of Pretty Woman, who had written a book called Conquering Hollywood. Conquering Hollywood is kind of a field manual for anyone who wants to work behind the camera, writers, cameramen, lighting guys, whatever the case might be, how they can take their technical skills and, and you know break into Hollywood. And he wanted to turn it into an online course and a membership and all the things that I'm doing with with my book. And so that ended up becoming a really fun project. We I, Not only did I get mm. to know Gary uh, and consider him a friend, but I got to work with him and work for him for months, helping him you know, grow this idea into a 
actual business. Wow, and it was probably fascinating as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Extremely fascinating, and all because I had volunteered, uh, you know, an hour of my time one Tuesday night, um, you know, to help this lady sure. teach, her, teach her class on social media. I believe that it is always coming back. I've mm. been lecturing for, I think, almost nine or eight years, at least once or twice a month, voluntarily, to startups, to entrepreneurs, and it is always come back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's what I believe. And, Mike, this is a beautiful story, <laughs> actually. It's a colorful one. Hey, Richards, I hope you enjoyed learning about the successes and failures of these entrepreneurs who found their paths and became successful leaders in their fields. I'm sure you are on your way to build your successes. If you have any question or concern about building your entrepreneurial business, send me an email to hayut, H-A-Y-U-T, at richomiss.com. Or just leave a comment at the end of the show notes of this episode on richomiss.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next week, take care. Bye. And for you, our listeners, until the next time, it all goes down to this. You either reach or miss. Keep reaching your goals and vision. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur. You can find all the information, links, and resources that was mentioned at the show in our website, reachormiss.com. See you next week.